captain's log. We found an island with a giant golden statue. There must be riches ahead. We must explore more. First mate log. Uh, the the captain went a little off the deep end. He's started declaring himself a shiny golden god and running around cavorting with the locals and uh, in his absence, I am the captain. Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. Today, I'm joined by Greg. Ahoy! And we will be reviewing Seafall, a game that we've been talking about a decent amount, especially on what we've been playing. Yep. So let's jump into that right now. Yeah, uh, what we've been playing, not yes, Seafall. exactly. <laughs> uh, we have been playing some Treasure Mountain. Yes, we have. This is a great game, game that we haven't talked about in a while, mm-hmm. but we both really enjoy. Euro-style... You're basically a clan of dwarves working to extract minerals from a mine while also avoiding pissing off the dragon or do piss off the dragon and kill it. Yep. You know, standard Euro point salad type fare. I really like it. I think that it makes really effective use of the bumping mechanic that's been really the popular. The bumping mechanic is really great in this game. You've got five meeples each in a two-player game or fewer in a game with more players. And each of them has a number which denotes the length of their beard. And so dwarves with longer beards have more seniority and therefore yep. they can bump other dwarves off of a space. Yep. So that's just a really fun thematic twist on what yeah. has become a very popular mechanic. And I think it's a good one as well because it does introduce a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a two can bump a one. But then a one has to go to an empty space. Yeah. So you do have some opportunity to maximize your options, but you can get painted into a corner if the thing that gets bumped is too weak. Yeah. So uh, pretty well executed there. Jacob won mm-hmm. uh, relatively handily. Well, no. Okay. I mean, it was a close enough game. Yeah. Uh, he just better understood the value of money than I did, which, you I know. mean, he's an accountant. So I suppose <laughs> that makes that's, sense. Makes yeah, sense. that's to be expected. I've also gotten to play and actually finish Betrayal Legacy. Oh, that was, I feel like that was fast because I feel like you've only been talking about it for a couple of months. I mean, I started in January, but unlike, you know, what we do on stream, uh, which is one game at a time, usually monthly, we played over, I believe, four sessions where we sat for three to four games each session. Okay. All right. So yeah, you so, were motoring. Yeah. We, we went through all 13 sessions, which which is how many there were. Okay. Plus, there was a prologue. So, okay. so 13 like sessions of the prologue. And, and I don't know. I am still a bit lukewarm on it, I guess. Sure. I think that though they've definitely taken a lot of steps to mitigate the problems that betrayal has, especially with the betrayer or the party being either screwed or, or like too powerful. Uh, yeah. yeah. It still rears its ugly head quite a bit. Uh, I know that it happened to me two of the four times that I was the traitor. It happened that I was pretty much screwed. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, it doesn't feel that great when that happens. And, I mean, the story is fun. That's, I think, the, the best part of it. Like, it still has a really good story. I love the tie-ins that they did to certain mythologies. Mm. And, yeah, it, it has some really cool stuff there. It's the kind of thing where, you know, you'll you'll flip over a card and it tells you to do X and you're like, oh my God, like we can do that. Or like, you know, <laughs> those things are coming back. We need that. We need this and that kind of stuff. And it was actually really interesting because the person whose copy this was really didn't want to destroy anything. 
Ooh, you gotta. That's well, that legacy game, buddy. I know, but the thing—the thing was that she actually just like it, it actually got confusing because she would take them and like not destroy them, but keep them in a separate like thing. So uh-huh. like she, she would, there were a few cars that she destroyed, but for the most part, it was just like no, like I'm just gonna keep them to the side. And, and somebody picked up like the wrong stack at some point or something. Well, it wasn't even that. It was just like there, there were two things. Like one thing was to destroy the card, and the other was to put things in the tomb. And the tomb was supposed oh. to be like under the box, and sometimes those got mixed up. What's in the tomb? What's been destroyed? Gotcha. And that kind of thing. So um, that's where it got a little bit confusing. I think honestly, if if we had been destroying all these components that we were supposed to destroy, mm-hmm. it would be a more satisfying experience because we would actually get to destroy some shit. <laughs> yeah. Like you know, oh, this card needs to get destroyed. Shink, shink, destroy it. Throw, throw it out. Versus yeah. like, I'm just going to put this to the side. Yeah. All in all, though, I think that it was still interesting and still pretty fun we might be getting into table here at some point on dragon's demise cool so yeah keep an eye out for that all right well there you go that's what we've been playing lately you've heard us talk about it you've heard us bitch about it it's time to review the long-awaited seafall yep Time to really get into it. So we're going to start talking about it without any spoilers. We're going to talk about the mechanics and that kind of stuff on a level that is pretty much what you get at the very beginning or within the first two or so games. Right. We will have a spoiler area, which will be likely in the uh, game field type things. So we will warn you when that happens if you do want to uh, steer clear of mechanics and story spoilers. Right. The spoiler zone. Mm-hmm. And then, And then our rating is going to be clean as well. Yes, yes, yes. But to begin with, what is Seafall? So Seafall is a competitive legacy game for up to five players. It's probably best with five players because you're obviously going to be playing with the same group of people over and over again. Uh, But you can play it with, I believe, as few as two. I think so, yeah. And in Seafall, you play as the lords of various provinces on Mm -hmm. the coast, and you're vying for control of the waters near those provinces so uh, you're moving your ships around you're trying to control the high seas trying to control various island spaces trading just getting the resources getting them back home upgrading your ships upgrading your provinces all that kind of stuff exactly so how does this work so every player has two ships they start out with slightly different stats one is fast and one is strong Mm -hmm. but over the course of the game being that it's a legacy game, you can upgrade those and configure them however you want. So the core stats are raid, your ability to fight, explore, your ability to reveal new areas on islands or new yep. islands, sail, your movement speed, mm-hmm. and hold, how much cargo you can hold. And yep. that's that really covers basically what pieces you have that you're mm-hmm. playing around with. And each of these stats corresponds to like whenever you have to do a check of one of these, that's how many dice you roll, plus any other modifiers that you can get. From something like when you start the game, you've got advisors. So yes, advisors are uh, the beginning of your turn. Is the, that's the first thing that you have to do. You have to choose whether or not you want to hire an advisor or buy a treasure. So when hiring an advisor, you look at the five that are out, and uh, you can pay for them with either reputation, so you have reputation tokens, or money, cash. Yep, and then they come into your council room, and. You can then activate one of your advisors per turn, and they will give you whatever benefits are on their card. At the end of that turn, their benefits end, they go face down, and they can't be used until the next year. Right. And so these benefits, typically they'll be stat boosts. Um, You know, they might say raid plus two or explore plus two, but they can also be slightly more unique. So someone might say you can buy 
goods directly from the supply, but if you do place an enmity token on that island, like you bully them into giving you more stuff, something like that. So the advisors can really shape your strategy. You're Mm -hmm. going to be acquiring these over the course of the game, and you are selecting the ones that dovetail with whatever it is that you want to do, fight, explore, Mm -hmm. buy stuff. Even if they tangentially relate, but you want to grab one that someone else is really wanting. (laughs) Yes, you you can. There's definitely a defensive play. Yeah. Now, I mentioned that they refresh at each year. And so this brings us to what the round structure is for the game. So first off, everybody gets a title pretty much. And based on that title, they're sitting in a certain area of the table. And the lowest title, the Lord or Lady, they go first. And then it goes around the table. And each one of those is one season. And then you have six seasons in a year. And so this means pretty much six rounds like that. And then after the sixth one, you have the winter season. Nothing really happens there in terms of you actually being able to do actions. But what does happen is your advisors refresh. The advisors that are on the board available get discarded. And then you also have another income phase. So you get the money from your fields and all that kind of stuff. And then you go ahead and and the new person who has the lowest score is then going to go first. Right. So pretty standard reset phase. Yep. uh, All that sort of thing. Each season, like we mentioned, you're making a decision as to whether hire an advisor or not, whether to activate an advisor or not. And then the sort of core of gameplay is choosing a guild. Yep. So there's four guilds, soldiers, explorers, merchants, and builders. Yep. And each of them is tailored towards a different activity, which you can probably intuit. Each of them has three different actions. Choosing a guild allows you to choose two of those actions to perform. So every guild allows you to move one or both of your ships up to their sail speed. And then each of them has two other actions that are tailored to what it is that they do. So for soldiers, you can raid or tax. Mm -hmm. For explorers, you can explore... Uh, an uncharted island site, or you can research, which is to you know find charts and things that will make your exploration easier. Yep. Merchants, you just buy or sell, mm. and then builders, you can build a building into your province, which gives you sort of broad spectrum benefits, or yep. you can upgrade or repair a ship. Ship upgrades are much more focused. Uh, mm-hmm. They you know give a single ship benefits to a single stat. Yep, pretty much. And then some of the actions that you do will result in endeavors. So endeavors can be multiple different things. They can be explore endeavors, sail endeavors, raid endeavors. Most of the stats have some sort of endeavor that can be related to it. Right. The most common really are the raid endeavors and the explore endeavors. Yeah, definitely. With those, pretty much what happens is uh, with the explore, for example, uh, you choose a place that you want to explore, usually a site on an island, that will have a certain number on there and it'll be either red or black and that will determine what the difficulty is. You will then assemble your pool of dice using, in this case, your explore stat of your flagship. So you can have both ships in there. Having your second ship together with your first ship does give you a bonus, but you only use the stats themselves of whichever ship you choose as the flagship for that endeavor. So you assemble your dice pool based on that any advisor benefits, any upgrade benefits, all that kind of stuff. And then you roll. On a dice, you can have either blanks, which are two sides of the dice, a weak success, a normal success, or a strong success. And so you will then roll the dice and add up all the successes that you have. 
And if that is equal to or greater than the number that you're trying to reach, you have succeeded flawlessly. Mm -hmm. However, if you have below that number, that doesn't mean you exactly fail. So what happens then is you take damage equal to the difference between the endeavor's difficulty and whatever you rolled. So you'll draw damage cards based on that. And once your ship has three damage cards, it will sink. Right. You can do some other things to mitigate that. Certain endeavors will allow you to use things like fortune if they're not dangerous so that you can just spend tokens that will like give you an automatic success. There are other things that also give you benefits in that type of thing. But unless you sink or roll zero successes, you can succeed. So decently forgiving, I guess. And then you get to do whatever action that comes with the success of that endeavor, whether it's exploring a site and getting to read something from the logbook or hitting someone in the face for something or stealing something from their ship or what, whichever thing you wanted to do. Yeah. And endeavors really form what I would consider the core of gameplay. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, making money, acquiring goods, building and upgrading, these are important. And in a lot of cases, they can get you pretty substantial amounts of points. But the action quote, like the exciting mm -hmm. stuff in the game, really all centers on the endeavor system, including gaining points. So glory is mm -hmm. how you track your points. You'll gain glory every time you succeed at an endeavor. Yep. Or the biggest way that you'll gain glory is for achieving milestones. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of each game, similar to Pandemic Legacy, you'll have uh, goals. In this case, they're called milestones that might say, be the first to build X number of buildings or yeah. be the first to explore island space that has a flame on it or something yeah, like yeah. that. And if you do that, you get a ton of points mm -hmm. and you get to read a selection from the captain's book. Yep. And you get some additional sort of bonus. So some permanent upgrade to your ship or uh, to your, your province, to your province, character, yeah. just generally like a permanent bonus that's going to go with you through the rest of the game. So milestones are really, really important because they can have a lasting impact. And they also are really, really heavily weighted in terms of their point values. Yeah. So whereas an endeavor, when you succeed, gives one glory, a milestone gives anywhere between like four and eight yeah, pretty much. So uh, milestones are really the end-all be-all of glory. And then each game has a glory target. Mm -hmm. Once the first player has met or exceeded that glory target, that triggers the end of the game. You finish the current season, and then uh, game's over. You check to see who won. That person gets another permanent upgrade. Yep. And roles are reshuffled. So as Jacob mentioned, the Lord or Lady is the lowest rank. The Prince mm -hmm. or Princess is the highest those titles will go to whoever has the least or most campaign glory yep. at the end of a game, and then that will determine your starting order at the mm -hmm. beginning of the next game. There are also a few other things that happen in terms of upgrading your the different advisors and being able to keep certain ones, and the person who was one gets to keep like the least uh, kind of thing. You can actually choose advisors to make them not be able to keep any kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So there are a few other things that happen, but for the most part, that's it. And then you go and you play another game the next time you bring it to table. Yep. And that's that's really the core mechanics of Seafall. So now we're going to get into some spoiler territory. Yep. Um, we're going to be talking about how the game feels, which of course will include conversation about some of the twists yep. that come along in the game, some of the rules that are revealed later in the game. Mm -hmm. So if you are not interested in spoilers, do go ahead and skip to what, uh, Jacob, the timestamp is? 2945. 
there you go. So if you're not interested in spoilers, skip to there. That'll be our actual ratings mm-hmm. for the game. Yeah, that's that. Otherwise, come along with us for this ride. Yeah, okay. So game feel. Well, first of all, it's inconsistent. Yeah. Like, I mean, in general, everything. It's just like there are spurts. There are like you know, things that go fast, go slow, like the milestones. Like you could make three milestones in one game between like two people or something like that. Or you could have no milestones gathered for like two or three games. Yeah. Progress felt very jerky. Yeah. Both within a game, you know, mm-hmm. you'd be nickel and diming each other. And then all of a sudden someone would get the milestone that you had all been fighting for. And they just blow you all out of the water. Yeah. I mean, I think the first or second game we had, the person who won had like 300% of the next person's score because they had like ra- a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and like racked up milestones or some nonsense. So Yeah, I did a lot of exploring milestones um, that time. That can definitely lead to some frustration. Yeah. Obviously, if you're the person that's happening to, it feels pretty great. Yeah. But I think in terms of just the way it's balanced, maybe not the best. And also the the thing is that w- along with this is just that because the progress within the story of the game right is is pretty much based on the milestones because you'll unlock them whether it's through finding new islands or other things like that but like most of it is related to the milestones and other such things so you might have like a game where you like open like two boxes because people are really focusing on that and then you might have a few games where no one's opening anything and there's no new mechanics there's no new anything there's no new story really there's just like you know, filling in the map and having like these little side stories, which really all they do is populate the resource that you are looking for. Right. And so for us, I felt like we had a pretty kind of a, a slow early game. And then I felt like there was a rush of things happening in the mid game. We revealed Patmos and found the yeah. Pirate King, which sort of changed the landscape. And then very soon after that, we revealed Eridos uh, and found the Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so those were both big revelations that were pretty impactful. The black light yeah. that came along with the society, that was the coolest shit. Yeah. Uh, like that was definitely the high point, I think, of the game mm-hmm. for us. But then after that, you know, you had these allusions to things like find our leaders to find the charts to the end of the world yeah. or all these other things. But we had, I think, three or four or five games mm-hmm. where we just didn't do that. And not even for lack of trying. Yeah. It's simply because... The things you needed to do to advance were on specific cards that weren't coming up for us. Exactly. Or like we're coming up for certain people. Like I didn't do a lot of interrogation, for example, because I didn't like that because that meant that I would then have to pay more for these people later on. Right. And I didn't really want to do that. And it didn't feel like it had enough of a benefit for me. Yeah. So it's just like different people have different kinds of priorities. And I think that that also leads into just how this game really pushes you towards combat it definitely does i mean player conflict is is something that it wants you to do really bad yeah there were a lot of observations that we made over the course of the campaign that basically just ended with all of us drawing the conclusion that you're supposed to fight and you can say that well of course you're supposed to fight it's a competitive legacy game but a you know we're relatively Mm non-combative as people as players and then b there are alternatives sort of within the game you know you've got exploration you've Mm -hmm. got mercantile stuff through i would say about the mid game and then it falls Mm -hmm. off Um, but you have alternatives to combat but because of the way the combat system works Mm -hmm. you're sort of encouraged to go tit for tat you're encouraged to okay i'm gonna hit you here which is gonna give you the ability to hit me back over here and 
I think one of the problems that we ran into pretty consistently was that our games were actually ending very quickly. They would end about a year and a half. Quickly in (laughs) in terms of like how many years it took. Internally quickly, externally, externally, real world time. Two and a half hours. Two and a half hours, right. But each game would end, you know, only a year and a half into it because none of us were doing things that were going to slow each other down. We were all focused on we wanted to do the exploration. We wanted yeah. to do the mercantile stuff instead of hitting each other here and there, which would have slowed progress. Mm-hmm. So overall, I think the game just feels like it is intended to be played in a much more combat heavy way. I think so. Then we were interested in playing it. Exactly. Except for Nick. Yeah. <laughs> we had one very combat happy guy. Right. And along with that, I think that losing a ship in this game is ball breaking. Oh yeah. It is really, really painful. Especially if you're getting to like a mid game, you lose a ship that has upgrades, has anything like that. By the time you're able to build it up, the game's over. Yeah. You're almost like crippled for the rest of that game. And so yeah, you can rebuild it and technically rebuilding it doesn't, you know, cost that much. But later on, like when you're uh playing on like the map that's stretching all the way from east to west pretty much. Mm-hmm. Just getting your ship back to where it was where it, when it died, like that takes like four or five turns by itself. Right. And there's like, there's some transportation aids, you know, yeah. there's the the teleportation portals, there's the mm-hmm. tablets, but if you don't have those, or I mean, the first teleportation gate is like halfway across the map. Yeah. Like it's still a meaningful amount of time to get back into just competitive yeah. like locations. So I only had to deal with losing a ship like once or twice, but it was pretty, pretty devastating. Yeah. Overall, I mean, it's not all bad. I did. I thought that the narrative was interesting. I thought there were some problems with pacing because, you know, yeah. you basically left things up to what the players not even tried to do, but just lucked into in yeah. a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But the strands that were there, the stuff with the society and the hints that you got about what came before, I thought they were interesting. And I did think that the twist that came at the very, very end was I'm struggling to find the right word because I don't think that it was perfect. Mm -hmm. And I struggle to even say that it was satisfying because of the context of how we discovered it, because Mm -hmm. of the just slog that it took to get there. But I thought it was at least interesting. And narratively, it did demonstrate some, like, they had interesting ideas. And I would have loved to see them play out differently. To counter that a little bit, I thought that the, the, um, the ending... I could see it and not. It was the kind of thing where it's like, I was hoping that it wasn't going to go for that. Sure. It was, that was, that was my biggest thing is like, I was seeing that there was some things going on, but like the tone shift, everything just went out of left field. Boom. Hit me pretty much blindsided me. And I didn't really like that. And also it, it was not a good ending. It was not a, you know, a happy ending of any sort. No, it was literally all hell breaks. loose. <laughs> yeah. Like literally. So it's just like there was no chance for us to try to avert it, to try to do anything else. We couldn't branch anything. Like we couldn't side with the Pirate King. We couldn't like, you know, yeah, uh, side with the Illuminati, try to work with them instead of working against them. And I think that that could have been really cool because that could have actually given us more of a reason to fight. Yeah. Rather I think... than just like resources. It's just like, oh, well, I'm part of the Illuminati or like I'm helping the Illuminati and you're, you want to punch them in the face. So yeah. Like, yeah, you're going to punch me in the face kind of thing. Yeah. I think exploring sort of alternate paths would have been more interesting. Mm-hmm. But the path that we got, I thought was at least, you know, 
interesting, if not yeah. the best option. Fair. But uh, so a lot of what we've been talking about so far has been pretty subjective in terms of, you know, how the game felt to us, mm-hmm. quibbles with the narrative or the pacing or things like that. But there are actually a few things that we want to mention yep. within the context of a, a properly defined no game is perfect mechanical issues that came up that we think actually hinder not just gameplay, but enjoyment for players. Mm-hmm. And for me, the first and arguably the only because it touches on everything yeah. is the rules. We've played legacy games before, yep. and I am prepared to admit that the fact that we only got this to table once a month and that it is a highly complex game didn't help mm-hmm. our comprehension. But that doesn't change the fact that the way that the new rules were written and the way that they were incorporated into the game caused confusion. Mm-hmm. It caused distress. Yep. And in at least two instances that I can think of, both for the same player, they cost actual identifiable losses of points. Not only of points, but between games, like this is losses of milestones. Right. Okay. So I'll give you a specific example. We revealed Eridos and mm-hmm. the temple that was there. And so the milestone that came along with that was raid the temple. Yeah. The rules as written for raiding Sites. Sites. And the rules as written for rating buildings mm-hmm. are phenomenally unclear about what constitutes an island site versus what constitutes a colony versus how much enmity you have to donate. And we did eventually find out that, oh, you know, there was some forum post that was made from the developer officially stating that, yes, this is an island site. You only have to give one enmity in order to attack this. But we had previously decided that no, it's a building. You have to give enmity equal to the value shown in the upper right hand. Like It made it mathematically impossible for him to do it. And then when we got that forum post, it meant that someone else just like easily took it. Right. I like to pride myself on being able to read and parse rules, but I wasn't the only one who looked at this. No. Multiple people at the table looked at this. We discussed it as a table. We came to the conclusion that seemed to us to be the reasonable and correct reading of the rules. And for that to get overwritten by some, again, the fact that it, it was a forum post just really rankles me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're playing Charterstone now. In the beginning of those rules, there's a thing that says, before you continue reading these rules, go to this URL for a continually updated errata and fact sheet. Yep. That's amazing. That's perfect. Do that. Have mm-hmm. a living, breathing document that addresses these complications. And I mean, it sucks that you have to do that, but that's partially the nature of a legacy game. Yeah. But so much of this was them shooting themselves in the foot by having terribly written rules. Yeah, for sure. And rant. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that that was a huge thing. That was that, that permeated the gameplay in general. I had another one of my pet peeves happen here, which is that you have no way of dismissing or refreshing the advisors. Yeah. Yeah, you, you could get stuck. Like if no one wants like the advisors that are out there, you could get stuck for literally six rounds or six seasons in this case in order for them to get refreshed at the beginning of the year. We've had cases where it's like, you know, for entire seasons, nobody bought anyone because no one was interested in the people that were out there. But it was still like, you know, middle of the year, so we weren't going to get refreshed for a long time. That doesn't just tie into the gameplay. It also ties into the story because 
the advisors where where we got a lot of like story things like for example when we shown the blacklight and interrogated them like we needed to talk to a certain number of them to tell us what are the different codes for finding these different things that will help us open endgame right we weren't able to find a single one of those that told us that we were allowed to use the blacklight on the tablets until we were doing our quote-unquote cinematic mode and it was like the second to last one we found anyway yeah exactly it was just like you know we have this giant ass stack of advisors and it's still one of the last ones that comes up and we were going through those five at a time Mm -hmm. and it took us that that like an entire i think two hours just to get to there so this is why this game is like played up to like 24 times or something like that it really like you know this this really mechanically is a huge problem for the game Definitely not being able to cycle advisors throttles gameplay, I think, and throttles progression, for sure. The other thing I think that, like, is a specific critique that we would love to see changed is the enmity system. Yep. Love the concept. Mm -hmm. Love the idea that, you know, you only have so much bandwidth as a nation to be able to declare war. Yep. Limiting the ability that players have to just fuck with other people is good. It's a Mm -hmm. good instinct. But eight enmity was not enough. Yeah. Especially Um, late game. Yeah, especially late game when you're, you know, you have to raid vaults or things that cost five at a time. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a solid buildup of either, you know, someone you were at war with last year mm-hmm. or a bank of permanent enmity, it gets to the point where you're paralyzed because the best play is to raid someone else's vault or treasure mm-hmm. room or whatever the hell. Yeah. And you can't. You literally can't. You know, between the colonies that you have active and the permanent enmity that you've been stuck with Mm -hmm. there, you just don't have enough in the tank. So my standard caveat is that I'm not a game designer, but just raise the cap from like 8 to 12. Something like that. Something like that. Like, I think it just could have been a little bit more finely dialed in. We were we also were running out, and we didn't even actually play through the end of the campaign, but we were running out of the uh, permanent permanent enemy stickers as well. So, like, you know, there just wasn't enough of any of that. Right. Yeah, maybe even just like a second sheet of those. Yeah. That all being said, uh, let's go ahead and jump into our ratings. So we rate on a scale of skip it, play it, buy it. We also have top shelf games, which are the ones that we think are the best of the best that no gamer should be without, and the Burnets, which we think never should have existed. <laughs> so, Greg, what's your rating for Seafall? It makes me very sad to give Seafall a skip it rating. I don't think... It's completely irredeemable. Like I said, I think that there were some interesting narrative threads. I love the Age of Sail. I love the theme. I thought that a lot of the exploration and a lot of the, even the early game stuff and some of the twists were cool and compelling and solid, but it just, it dragged on for way too long. There wasn't enough consistent pacing and the rules. The rules were really the death knell for me on this. So it's, it's gotta be a skip it. For me, it gives me some glee to say, skip it. (laughs) This is a game that I haven't enjoyed since probably, well, the first game when we, at the end of the the prelude, had to uh, destroy the characters that we chose out of the ones that we had there, all the porches and all that kind of stuff. We're like, oh, these are the cool ones. We want to use these, all that. You go ahead and rip them up at the end of the game and have to choose from the scraps that are left over yeah he's been salty about that the whole time yeah and then like i mean i was on the bottom of the rung for the pretty much the entire game yeah i just wanted to go through the exploring i didn't give a shit about the rest of the stuff 
And the fact is that the rest of the stuff just got in the way of doing the actual interesting stuff of the game. Yeah. So like this game got in its own way. And that's why I don't think this is a game that anyone should waste their time on. There you go. All right. So it's a double skip it from us. Maybe you'll have better luck, but that's what we think. Real quick, before we go, we're going to cover a couple of games that we think have similar feels. If you want a game like Seafall, that's good. <laughs> there you go. If you want a game like Seafall that we think is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scythe yep. is one of the first ones that comes to mind. So it has a lot of similarity in terms of the sort of tense diplomacy that mm-hmm. you've got going on. You've got this awkward ceasefire until you don't yeah, exactly. anymore. But despite all that, you do still have a lot of resource management. You've got some territory control, even some of the the sort of exploration narrative elements. You're flipping yeah. over these exploration tokens, revealing new stuff, getting mm-hmm. to the abandoned factory at the center. Yeah. I think there's a lot to appreciate about the similarities there. Caveat, the most obvious comparison is to the official Scythe campaign, Rise of Fenris, yep. which neither of us have played. Yep. But just going strictly based on gameplay and mechanics, I think that Scythe compares pretty favorably to uh, Seafall. I agree. Additionally, I would definitely say Zaya Legend of the Drift System is another one. And this is exactly, I mean, exploration. You got, you're exploring everything. You're trying to find these different planets. You're trying to do all that. You've got the trading. You've got the upgrades of all the ships and that kind of stuff. You have the missions that you're supposed to do that'll get you extra points and and there's still like a combat element that can happen, but it's the same kind of thing where it's just like, it's actually not always beneficial. It's a lot of times not beneficial to actually have the combat. And like a lot of times people are just focusing on the trading, focusing on that kind of aspect. So I think that it just does a much better job in terms of the type of things that Seafall wanted to do without a lot of the detriments. And there you have it. That's a review of Seafall. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope you enjoyed. As always, huge thank you to our Patreon subscribers, specifically the Greater Wyrm patrons. They are Casey, Hunter, Meg, Sam, and Carissa. Thank you very much for your continued support and to everyone else as well. Also, of course, to Adam Krasberg on Twitch for being an amazing supporter, as always. That's right. Hopefully you saw that WashingCon tickets are on sale now. Well, hopefully you saw if you live in the D.C. area. Or willing to come all the way down to D.C. Hey, come see us. Uh, But yeah, WashingCon tickets are on sale now. You can head over to WashingCon.com to pick up your tickets. They are currently $50 for a weekend pass. Pretty reasonable. Go ahead and get yours uh, well in advance. You can plan with your friends. Make sure that all your arrangements are in order. Come see us. Come hang out. We're going to have lots of awesome programming, lots of awesome board games, And uh, yeah, should be a grand old time. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode of Dragon's Demise.